Welcome, everybody, to a Couch Divided podcast. My name is Nick. Alongside with me, as always, the wonderful, beautiful Dr. Robin Hall. Hello, sir. Hello. I feel like... I had a very newsy voice. You did. Hello. Hello. Bad Dr. New- Robin Hall. <laughs> Bad News Bears, Walter <laughs> Matthau. <laughs> Walter, Walter Matthau. Walter Matthau. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, it's like the, the um, trailer guy, the mm-hmm. guy that does movie trailers. Mm-hmm. Little did they know. Little in a world. Yeah. <laughs> in a dystopian. Full of two podcasters. Future. Yeah. <laughs> with no studio. <laughs> with a couch and two, mi- well, actually three microphones. We have, we do have three. We have now three microphones One and an Ivan. <laughs> and an Ivan on the couch. Yeah. Ivan is my dog. <laughs> he's being a good dog right now. Currently, he's, that doesn't last very long, but he's currently being a good dog. That's funny. Um, I feel like we are bright eyed and bushy tailed in a way that we not, we aren't normally cause we usually re- start recording so much later in the it day. Is a different atmosphere. Right? Like right. the sun's up higher the sun's in the up. sky or. I'm still thinking about breakfast. Are you hungry? Yeah, but I'm always hungry. <laughs> I can feed you if you need me. No, no I'm good. <laughs> I thought, well, I thought we were going to be over here for like four hours. I, I was planning on it. Um, like ordering lunch. I have protein. If you would like that. I already had some of it. Okay. That's his protein and coffee can, can mixed because That's I'm great. not allowed to have creamer. <laughs> okay. All right. Banter. Apparently our banter goes up. Our like inane banter goes up this early in the morning. So mm-hmm. this is technically our inaugural season blitz episode, Nick. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about that? I like the term season blitz. Season blitz. Yeah. Yeah. Series blitz. turn into a ballroom blitz. Yeah. There's a girl in the corner. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's a robot on the couch and she whatever. And she's getting her groove on. Okay. Um, so I am very excited about this. I have been up to my eyeballs in research mm-hmm. uh for the last well, I, it was a trickle at first and then it was a flood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of gotten me back into the mode of graduate student, which mm-hmm. I both it's been long enough now. So let's see. It's been Oh my gosh, four, three, it's almost eight years since I graduated. Mm. Oh my gosh, that can't be real. It's been two years since me. No way. Mm-hmm. I isn't can't. That, doesn't oh. seem like it is. I mean, even after I was, I did a postdoc when I was done with mm-hmm. school. Um, oh my gosh, guys, time, time <laughs> after time. <clears throat> but I'm always looking at articles and studies and things yeah. like that. Well, I, so yeah. like once you, when you write a dissertation, which you will mm-hmm. do one day, mm-hmm. that is at least the trajectory for you. You will find after writing the dissertation mm-hmm. that you, while once had a love of reading and books mm-hmm. and articles, you now have a rather intense hatred mm. for that book of Ecclesiastes is with much study. Where is the bones? Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> Go figure. The Lord is right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will, I do, I will say though that like the research that I have done for this episode and then the episodes that we're going to record next, um, I have actually enjoyed kind of getting back into that Sure. Graduate school mode, so that's refreshing. You took your eight-year break. I took my eight-year break, <laughs> <laughs> and I re- like I read a lot of other stuff, I, but I would say there was probably like two years in there where I was like, I don't want to read anything. You know, the curse of all of that stuff from school and everything bleeds into my theology too. Right now, I'm studying Eastern Orthodox through a Reformed lens. 
and Eastern Orthodox religion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, because I want to give a reformed response to it. Okay. And so I'm just reading a book. Uh, on it and what is the book it's just called through western eyes oh interesting which is not really original given the fact that every reformer writes a book through western eyes like it's it's just a common title but it also like you wouldn't is it is that is there like a like a colon and then a subtitle or is that the whole title just through a western eyes a reformed outlook of yeah that's right okay so a reformed response okay and right now the beginning of the chapters are all on the the councils when everything was unified like the east and the west you know what i mean Uh, west being rome i do not know this history oh really yeah. yeah I, uh, the, the problems in the councils, I start analyzing and I'm like, oh, you know, this guy is doing this and this guy is this and this. I bet he was beaten, you know, <laughs> like, oh, I, like I, I'm, you're I'm, doing the psychology yeah, yeah, yeah. of and all of the players. And it really, it, I don't know if it helps, but it's, that's why I say it was a curse. Cause sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to read this chapter and stop, stop doing what I'm doing. So, okay. That, that is so funny that you bring that up. Cause I get, I, well, actually, I would say this this happens in blitzes. Like, the, for some reason, there seems to be more season, like, a seasons where there's more of this and seasons where there's less, less you know, like, floods and mm. droughts of it. But when people find out that you are a clinical psychologist, mm-hmm. one of the first... <laughs> things and they don't know you well right like they start telling the, you their dreams <laughs> well they do start talking to you which is you know that's mm-hmm. okay that seems like an all right reflex sure. but one of one of the um one of the first things that people a lot of people will say is oh are you analyzing me yeah. right now mm-hmm. um and so here is the truth i'm gonna answer that i'm gonna i'm gonna give you all the response to that from that you can just take into any interaction you'll ever have with another Mm -hmm. therapist. Once you have completed a graduate course of study, specifically a doctorate in something, and you have written a dissertation, you permanently alter the filters through which you interpret everything. So there's never a moment for me where I'm not informed by my area of expertise when I'm making observation. That is just the truth. I no longer have the capacity Mm -hmm. to divorce myself from that. I think that's true in a lot of professions that people find themselves. Totally. It should. should. That's I I believe truly that that is a mark. And I'm sure I'm Mm -hmm. the hundred millionth person to say this. Like Like a financial planner right. is probably always going to analyze, you know, their spouse's numbers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, and it really should be that way. Like that one of the marks of being an expert in anything is that you, the way that you see the world, mm-hmm. the way you understand the world is informed through that lens, yeah. which just makes sense. Including so yourself. Right. And <laughs> it, so in that way, the answer to the question are you analyzing me right now? Mm-hmm. The yes. answer is yes, yes. always. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how not to mm-hmm. like look at another human being and turn off mm-hmm. the psychologist part of me. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But what me. I am not doing, like also, like right, yeah. what I'm not not doing is mm-hmm. wondering what was their childhood like. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, tell me what your insec. Mm-hmm. I wonder what what insecurities mm-hmm. are manifesting in this mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, none, like almost never. In, a, in an immediate first interaction with somebody is a therapist thinking, 
excuse me, a social interaction mm-hmm. in a therapeutic interaction. That's very different. Yeah, and, well, but and, and when you a- find out somebody is a therapist and you ask them, mm-hmm. oh, are you analyzing me? Yeah. <laughs> we look at the world through a lens that's informed by our training mm-hmm. and study. Well, that's really a chronicle of life too. As but well, what we we're influenced. not doing when we go to our in-laws yeah. Sunday dinner and mm-hmm. meet new people is like spending the entire yeah. dinner performing a therapeutic analysis. It would be exhausting. It's not how, that's not how it works. Yeah. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. So <laughs> don't be insecure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Therapists are just. You ever had too. to tell somebody to stop? Like, okay, so wait, you, you've uh, been in a conversation and you've had to stop and go, and I'm not psychoanalyzing you right now. I'm just saying. Have you ever had to pause because what you sound? It, what, I have literally never said that. Because so, because here's the, the, like, if I am doing it, I'm yeah. not going to lie about it. Yeah. I, I don't want to trigger. I don't want to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, especially when you start speaking about biblical things and human condition and sin. Oh, I don't ever. You know, nope. I never apologize for any of that. Yeah, I never yeah. qualify any of that. Um, I think that that is something I have been honing over the last several years, truly. Mm-hmm. But like. It's just being straightforward. Yeah. Well, and so what I, so if you're not asking me mm-hmm. for my opinion or you'll for my know. advice, you, I don't give it. You, so you, you'll never know. Yeah. It, it won't be until you're asking me for it that I'm offering it. And sure. in that circumstance, there's no reason for me to yeah. qualify or apologize yeah. for what I'm saying. And I know how to mitigate that too. You know, just saying things like, well, of course, but don't think that I'm sitting yeah. here <laughs> judging you or chronicling your so child. <laughs> the long answer and short answer to this is yes, they are. They are always analyzing what mm-hmm. you, like people, circumstances, environment, because that's just how our brain works. Mm-hmm after you cross a certain threshold, but no, we are not looking at you wondering, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder what happened to her. Yeah. We're not doing that. That's, could you imagine? Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine how exhausted you would be. Um, now that's not to say that like you couldn't go out into the great wide world and see an interaction that's interesting and start, and start analyzing it. it. Well, yeah. Sociologists do it all the time. It's not that. That's I don't mean that that never happens. Mm-hmm. But if you are meeting somebody who is a therapist pro- professionally and asking, oh, are you analyzing me? Mm-hmm. All that tells us is, A, you are probably insecure about yeah, being you're, analyzed, yeah, you're, right? You're pretty vulnerable right and now. And then you yeah. don't really understand what it is that a therapist does. Yes. That you're, what's informed your idea of therapy right. has been what you've seen on TV. Right. So, no. Yes and no? Yes, no. <laughs> you know. You know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so that was, a, that was like a little fun tidbit for yeah. our first one. So just to go over again how we're doing this, this is our business, we'll do our housekeeping part mm-hmm. of this. Um, where can everybody find us, Nick? You can always find us on social media, yes. right? At a Couch Divided Pod uh, on Instagram and Facebook, same name, both same name. Do we have a Twitter? We do not have a Twitter. I think officially we do, but I haven't been on it. You should do it. I don't know. X, formerly Twitter. Oh, that's right, yeah. People are calling it Twix. Oh, gosh. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't hate it, actually. Twix. 
I like I don't know. the candy. Every time I listen to a, a, some kind of podcast, it's Twitter. <laughs> I mean, X. I mean, Twitter. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? like People, th- this is what happens in a transitional. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're going to be doing this for the next what, few uh, years. what do you guys think? Should we be on Twitter? We there's lots of stuff that happens on Twitter. I'm with Jeff Turbin. I think it's a dumpster fire, but I think okay, we need to be on it. Lots of social media is a yes, dumpster yeah, fire. Mm-hmm. So, but Couch Divided Pod on Instagram, Facebook, maybe Twitter, <laughs> or you can email us at a Couch Divided Podcast <laughs> at, at gmail. gmail.com. Couch Divided Podcast at gmail.com, where we get we've gotten a few stories already, um, and yeah, people asking cool. questions and things like that. Uh, we, got, we, all, we get that all the time. We get that all the time. But episode suggestions, personal stories, yeah, personal stories, even uh, inquiring. We guests. get a lot of gratitude yeah. actually yeah. to you guys, and we love that. So yeah, we love you. that, and I always am excited to see that an episode is you know spoke 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 to you, giving yeah. you an epiphany or changed your life even. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's why we do this. We pray every uh before every podcast for you and for this show and for god to be glorified and uh for you to uh gain an affection for mm-hmm. the lord that um, maybe you didn't prior to the episode that you're listening well to, and so. to have a hopefully like a biblical christ-centered understanding of some of the stuff that the church has just not done a great job of taking dominion over that being said share this with your friends yes you know, that, tell everybody uh, we have a lot of episodes about a lot of topics. Oh my gosh. And I think that they speak. We're starting our fourth year. This is the beginning of year four. This is crazy. And they speak to the heart. They really do. Uh, You'll hear our personal stories. You'll hear things about mental health and uh, mental disorders um, or even just pragmatic topics mm-hmm. such as like we, we, we had the baggage episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> emotional I mean? baggage. Emotional yeah. ba- which is a great episode. Mm-hmm. If you, It's more of a freestyle episode which I love those things. We love doing crossovers. There's plenty. We have several with cultish. We have yeah. one with sheologians. We've got a Several more in the works. Um, we've got a big collaboration coming with Coltish this next year. And so who knows, you might be able to uh, pass this off to a friend that maybe needs it at the time. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, we would be happy to yeah. so be included in that. So. We, our format is changing for 2024. And this is this is a an experiment, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're moving to seasonal. So... We this is for a lot of reasons, but primarily we want to keep um, consistent with our releasing, mm-hmm. right? Um, we want to spend less time. We want to have we want to spend more productive time. I think that's the best way to say that, um, and yeah. give you guys really good quality, high quality content. So mm-hmm. um, we're also totally revamping our Patreon, and mm-hmm. we're gonna have another a new tier um, where you can get access to episodes early. Um, and by the way, you can find that. Oh yeah, you can find at Patreon dot com slash slash a couch divided. Yeah, there we are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a Patreon-only show that we do every week Call called On the Couch. On the Couch. Or as my husband, like, I don't know, he constantly refers to it yeah, as... On the Sofa. On the or Sofa. Th- yeah, yeah. And uh, my husband, James, has actually become kind of a third co-host for that for He's the great. most part. He's really great. It's, it's really fun conversation. Uh, the last time that we, or our last episode that we haven't actually uploaded yet. Mm-hmm was really a good conversation. I loved it. Yeah. So, you know, for years, Nick and I have been saying that we just kind of need to have the mics going when we talk, talk, mm-hmm. not just when we're like recording an episode. And so that's really what On the Couch is. It's much more laid back. Um, our ramblings and musings. Yes. Our pontificating. But we really, really like it. Um, and if you become a patron, you can like it too. Mm. Yeah. 
So, um, with that being said, we're, there'll be a lot more information that comes out social media posts that let you guys know all about the patronage stuff, how you can do it, what to expect, when to expect it. Um, so we're going to have a first part to our season that'll run from the middle of January through the beginning of May. And then we're going to break for the summer. And then we will come back again the beginning of September through the beginning of December. And we'll have so two, one season split into two parts. And we're hoping if it's successful, that that's how we're going to do it going forward. Right. Um, but, you know, we don't want to leave you guys starving for couch divided content. Um, and so that is definitely not our plan. We're like, and it's one of the reasons that being a patron is so cool because mm-hmm. we're going to have so much contact content, extra content, um, not just the show on the couch, but articles, uh, what's the name of the signal threads, mm-hmm. um, where you can chat with us signal or discord, uh-huh. yeah. um, a book club potentially even. So yeah, guys, I was even thinking we could do like a movie club where we like all watch the same movie mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. like a stupid psych movie mm-hmm. or a good one. I used to do that. Uh, so, um, I would tell everybody to press play at the same time so that funny. we press play. I'm pretty sure you can like invite together. everybody. Like Netflix has an option where you can have people like actually join the same oh, yeah. stream. Sure. I'm technologically a little Yeah, dumb. it's just copyright to stream a movie. Yeah. So we would all have to be on the same chat. But yes. I, would, I know. That'd I be really fun. That, yeah. So movie, can you imagine guys watch? Well, we can imagine it because we watch movies with ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. But um Actually, James says I, like, talk too much during the movies. Oh, really? <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, he's not mean about it, but... You're doing the same thing that I'm doing in the book, you know what I mean? <laughs> Talking through the chapter and not getting through it. Right. All right, guys. So, today, with our inaugural season episode, this is technically season four, but our first season... Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking about something really cool. It's a much requested topic. Um, it's a really important topic. Um, and we really hope you guys like it. Yeah, we've been alluding to doing this for a while. I know. Right? I think it's been in the like atmosphere for a while. So what is it? We are going to be talking about dissociation today. Mm-hmm. And specifically... What you're doing right now. <laughs> right, because we're <laughs> rambling. Um, dissociative identity disorder, which is more popularly known, like it, the cultural terminology for that would be multiple personality mm-hmm. disorder, which mm-hmm. is, that is no longer a designation clinically, mm-hmm. but it was once upon a time. So, PD. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that, and I'm excited. Mm-hmm. So, um, I thought that a really good place to start was actually defining what dissociation is. Um, This is a, it's a term that gets used a lot. It gets thrown around. So many psych terms get made popular and fatty and people, not fatty like plump, but fatty like in a fad, um, as a fad. And it just completely waters down and it changes the meaning of the word and I think a lot of the time what happens is it becomes so broad, like it can mean anything. Um, but clinically, when we talk about dissociation, we're actually talking about a very, like a very, very specific thing that happens. It's, um, and it is a God-given thing. The way that I explain it to people, um, the way that I explain it from a biblical perspective, and we're going to talk a lot more about this after we go through all of the the DSM stuff that I've got and other research. Um, 
is as this is essentially a God given coping mechanism. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> the Lord in his grat- like graciousness to us actually built in a biological response system so that we can see something and become afraid of it. Mm. Right. So, and I've used this as an analogy before, but if you're sitting around a campfire and you hear a rustling behind you or to the, your periphery and you look and you see a bear, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to become afraid of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So we, we kind of talk all the time. Like it's also very like bougie popular to say, that God, like, do not fear, do not fear. Because in scripture, God commands that of us all the time with like, with the Lord, we're not supposed to fear circumstance, but we are also supposed to fear him. So yeah. not all fear is wrong. Not all fear is bad or sinful, right? There's some actual, like very appropriate, healthy fear. So yeah, when so I like that, that saying, you know, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Um, I'm pretty and, sure that was a Winston Churchill. Yeah, <laughs> that was, was JFK. It? But uh, no, yeah. Uh, it but, was one of the great orators of history. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Churchill. I'm yeah. It up. It, in itself, they're saying that fear is a bad thing. Um, and I, you know, I don't necessarily think that. Um, I think in some cases, you know, um, fear uh, may be a bad thing. Um, just depends. You know what I mean? Go, uh, but you, it's Roosevelt. You are so right. Yeah, 1933 Roosevelt. Franklin yeah. D. Roosevelt. Yeah, in yeah. his inaugural address. Yeah, I remember that. That's at the end of Cult of Personality by Living Color. Anyways. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, okay, so it's really important, right? Actually, that we can look at that bear and become afraid of it because. Mm-hmm. If we aren't afraid of it, we'll do some real stupid stuff, like not try and get away from the bear. Imagine seeing the bear and going, I have nothing to fear but fear itself. (laughs) How about you leave? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So the reason I'm talking about fear really is when we're going to find this, when we go through the definition of what dissociation is clinically, the ability to detach from a highly traumatic circumstance, mm-hmm. some especially something that is occurring in the moment, we call peritraumatic dissociation. Mm-hmm. It's it the disconnection from the event itself and from the details of the event, from the personal nature of the event, I truly believe help protect us from the full impact of what's actually happening in the moment Mm -hmm. or what has happened. Mm -hmm. So when I say God given gift, what I mean is God has given us the ability to protect ourselves from the full weight of suffering all at one time, Mm -hmm. typically. Mm -hmm. Now, what I'm not saying is that we don't fully experience suffering. So I want to be really careful with that. Um, but this is a it's a biologically generated response that essentially allows us to disconnect from our environment, from things, places, objects, and also from ourself. So this first part, um, this all comes from our most recent edition of the DSM-5. So this is the text revision DSM-5. Um, and th- I so just as like a source or a reference, and we can put that in our show notes too. So dissociative symptoms, 
Okay, and we're going to talk about what those are. They are experienced as unbidden. And I, the first time I read that, it was unbidden. Uh, did <laughs> you say unbidden? I just, my brain was like uh, unbidden, which yeah. is the same thing. Which so is, that's unwanted, <laughs> unwanted, unconjured up, right? Unasked, invited it like a vampire. We are not inviting you in. Unbidden intrusion, intrusions mm-hmm. into awareness and behavior. Um, and a proclivity towards garlic. <laughs> with an... <laughs> <laughs> with accompanying losses of continuity and subjective experience. Mm-hmm. So, for example, positive dissociative symptoms. So, in clinically, when we use the terms positive and negative, we're not talking about, oh, that was so good, oh, that was so bad. We're talking about in addition to or to subtract from, mm-hmm. like a an addition or a removal. So, positive mm-hmm. symptoms, such as division of identity, depersonalization and derealization. And we're going to define those in just a sec. Um, Or, and or the ability to access information or to control mental functions that normally are readily amenable to access or control. Mm. Those would be negative dissociative symptoms such as dissociative amnesia. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Uh, I forgot what you just said. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're amnestic for it. Okay. So the two primary manifestations of dissociation, the two major symptoms that we see in dissociation are depersonalization and derealization. Okay. So derealization, the way that I kind of colloquially describe this is this isn't real. So floating outside of your body can be the physical experience of it watching. Like I'm watching the movie of somebody else's mm-hmm. life. This isn't real. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not real. And depersonalization, this isn't really happening mm-hmm. to me. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So depersonalization, a state in which one's thoughts and feelings seem unreal or not to belong mm-hmm. to oneself, or in which uh, one loses all sense of identity. Mm. Depersonalization. Derealization, so this would be depersonalization versus derealization. The experience of feeling and thinking you are detached from your surroundings. Mm. People and objects around you may seem unreal, right? So this isn't real, and this isn't really happening to me. Tracking. Another very common dissociative symptom is numbing. So uh, typically you see like the more often somebody is dissociating and the more detached they are from their feelings, from other people, from the world around them, the the consequence, right, is this kind of chronically numb experience. So Mm -hmm. just like no highs, really no lows, just numbness, not being able is really the way it's described to connect to thoughts, feelings, other people. It's, it's not, it's not really great. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many like combat veterans, victims of military sexual assaults, like all of the, the service member population that I've worked with for so many years, this is one of their primary dissociative symptoms is Mm -hmm. this kind of chronic feeling of numbness and detachment Mm -hmm. from, from really everything. Well, not just their own experience, but from everyone Mm -hmm. and everything. And it's very lonely. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Dissociative amnesia is another 
dissociative uh, symptom, and it's characterized by an inability to recall autobiographical information that's cons- that is inconsistent with normal forgetting. So you'll hear that caveat a lot. So this isn't just like, wait, what, what was the name of that hospital I was born in? It's, I don't know my name. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Like inconsistent mm-hmm. with normal forgetting. Normal forgetting being what we would expect yeah. with on what we would expect with like a traumatic brain injury. Sure. What we would expect with a normal aging yeah. process. Just as time goes on. Right. <clears throat> All right. So there are three different kinds of well amnesia but we apply them to dissociative amnesia so it can be localized so you can be amnestic for a specific event or a period of time it can be selective so a specific aspect of the event the way that I would describe this is like I remember getting onto the freeway in my car and then I don't remember anything after that Mm. so I don't remember the crash I don't remember being extricated from the car. I don't remember the hospital. Mm. I the, the next thing I remember is, and then when they mm-hmm. woke up, mm-hmm. whatever, how yeah, many. Yeah, you hear that a lot, yeah. Okay, so that would be selective, mm-hmm. okay? And then there is generalized. So this would be uh, somebody who is amnestic for their whole identity or their life history. It's not, it's not specific to a time period or an event. It isn't selective being within the event itself, right? Like I remember the crash, but I don't remember getting pulled out by paramedics. Like I don't remember pieces of the event. I don't remember anything up until sixth grade. Mm -hmm. That's general. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So in dissociative amnesia, deficits are memory deficits. Memory deficits are primarily retrograde and often associated with traumatic experiences. So retrograde refers to the loss of memory prior to an event. So like, I don't remember what happened up until my car accident, but Mm. I remember everything after. Mm. So it is possible to have anterior grade amnesia, which Mm. is, I don't like I, there was an accident Mm. and I remember all of my life up until the accident, Mm. but I don't, my, my recall memory, my short term memory is bad. Mm. I don't remember things that happened after. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So, okay. So those symptoms are the basic dissociative symptoms Mm. most people that dissociate especially in response to trauma report feeling out of body yeah have you ever experienced i mean not personally myself no but i've had i I, i've talked to people that have had out of body experiences um this isn't like i was abducted by yeah not like but specifically after a traumatic event such as a car accident or um, uh, I, I remember talking to somebody that uh, had somebody break into their house uh, and uh, uh, they didn't remember the event. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and uh, they only know the repercussions. And there's like a signifier that instilled fear into them because they sleep now with the door, you know, with the door open and they're highly kind of aware when they sleep too as well. They, they, they don't, they're, they don't fall into a deep sleep as they used to. 
kind of thing. So uh, they sleep with the door open so that they can hear a yeah, or whatever whatever form of you know comfort that they have to make sure that they're aware of what's going on on outside of their door. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I have definitely dissociated many many times in my life. Um, the first real dissociative out of body experience I remember ha- like I remember having um I was oh, 18 or 19 maybe 20 um and I am certain I had dissociated before then but this was my first like peri traumatic so occurring during the course of like traumatic news event um so uh my <laughs> Lord, forgive me for sharing this. Um, my ex-husband uh, was arrested the night before Thanksgiving. Mm. And I got a phone call from the mistress of his best friend. Mm. It was a real classy situation, guys. This is long before I was a Christian, which doesn't excuse anything, but I hope it puts it into context. Mm. Um, and so I was sitting in our house and hear these words like they were arrested and they were arrested for assault um and currently being like processed so in that moment like I remember dropping my phone like I didn't I didn't and then the whole room got very very close like the way kind of the way that special effect in a camera when you're watching a movie like all of a sudden like the like the the picture shrinks right around the like face of the person Mm -hmm. that was it was there was legitimately a perceptual disturbance and the whole room shrank Mm -hmm. around me and I felt I mean it was so fast very much like I was out of my own body kind of floating above everything, watching it happen. Mm. Um, so that I would classify that as derealization, um, deep. I don't know if I moved really into deep person, like this isn't happening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely like this isn't real, this mm-hmm. isn't happening. And I think when that is the anthem in your mind, that's that's a pretty great indicator that what's going on is dissociation. Mm-hmm. So for anybody out there who has had that experience of, oh, this can't be happening. This mm-hmm. isn't real. This can't be happening. That is a really quick trigger, mm-hmm. right? It is a reflex when you are dissociative. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I'm talking about this, I actually have a, a much earlier memory. When my mom's mom died, my grandmother um, my uncle, we hadn't been able to get a hold of her for a day or so. And my uncle went to her house and, uh, I remember I was in the living room and I hear my mom just lose it on the phone. And then I remember her in rather hysterics. So I was 13, I think mm-hmm. when this happened, um, grandma's dead. That's what she said, mm-hmm. and, but she was out of it, very mm-hmm. out of it. And hysteric. She, and then I remember saying, like, I have to call Karen, which is my mom's little sister, my right. aunt. And I remember feeling very out of body, like almost like I couldn't feel my feet, but I was, I was running. I started running out of the house. My sister was outside playing with our neighbors. And I just remember, like, screaming her name, Holly, hmm. my sister. And, of course, ter- like, I scared the ever-loving, you know, blitzes out of her. Hmm. 
um, I remember her face. Like I remember the look of just like utter terror because she was seeing me Mm. and what I was like, something was clearly very, very wrong. And I just grabbed her hand. I don't remember saying anything else to her because I don't remember being able to get any words out Mm. outside of her name. And she, I remember her saying like, what, what's wrong? Like what's wrong? What's wrong? My sister's two and a half years younger than me. So she would have been 11, 10 or 11. Mm. And, uh, and then that's it. I have no, I, after I pulled her inside the house, that was it. That was the last, I have big blank spaces, Mm. uh, after that. Um, and probably until a couple of days later, when I have, I recall some conversations that I had with my dad about it, but Mm. this is a very common experience. You are not weird to experience it. There's nothing wrong. Like there's no indication that something is wrong because you are experiencing it. I truly, truly believe that this is a God given mechanism Mm. that helps protect us. Right. This is the hypothesis anyway, from the full weight of like the tragedy or trauma that is occurring in Mm. the moment. And we kind of come out of that disconnection or detachment in steps in waves, which allow us to connect to it more. Um, And I really believe that is a, I mean, a graciousness of the Lord, even if in the moment it doesn't feel like that at all. Mm. Um, I don't know that we would, I think we would see a lot more like broken heart deaths happen Mm -hmm. if we didn't have this as a mechanism of protection. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about some of the research where, like where we're identifying areas of the brain that function for this. Um, Are you recalling any of your own? No, I, but I, what I'm thinking um, right now is, uh, have you attempted to fill into, uh, you know, in the gaps and have gotten close uh, to doing so? Or do you think those are just, you know, imaginative or like your imagination filling the gaps or have about, you ever tried About that? what? The amnistic um, um, oh, no. I, uh, events. Because it's know? not, it's not important. Right. Because. Uh, I know, I know that my uncle like was over there and found her and mm. uh, she died of a stroke in her sleep. Mm. And I know that my mom went over, but I don't remember if she went with my dad. Right. I don't, I'm assuming that my sister and I stayed with my grandpa, yeah. because, um, but and, it's really, it, there's the, no reason for me to know what I like. There's, yeah. it doesn't, it's, and I don't think it's, there's any reason for me to know like the absolute perfect chronology of those events. I, I think that's a good perspective. And so sometimes I work outside of a, you know, abortion centers, um, you know, handing out tracks and trying to persuade moms from not going in there. Um, and they end up putting them under, let's just say when they're going to get an abortion, they end up putting them under a twilight to where oh, a, a lot of sleep. yeah, uh, to where a lot of women come out going, I don't remember mm-hmm. anything that went on, but they are conscious and they are awake, and they're just kind of numbed up mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and they end up having, uh, well, a lot of them end up having an anxiety impact for what they've done, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and they described, I don't remember. They end up filling in the gaps with the worst possible possible scenario that happens that generates that trauma that generates more of that anxiety plus the evidence of what they have done sure i do think that 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 could commonly occur for people that specific instance like the the 
the trauma part of it was that she was dead. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't any. So there wasn't anything that you could fill that would right. be, that would trump that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess there could have been circumstantially yeah, things, sure. more horrible details, but mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. There was no reason or motivation for me to mm-hmm. attempt, like, to, and there never has been since that moment to try and fill in any of the Good. blank spots. Um, but uh, that phenomenon of, like, creating, filling the gaps in with the worst possible scenario is not uncommon, mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, that's... <clears throat> I, I, I share those experiences because I'm sure... It's one thing to be reading, to read, and to hear a clinical definition of something like this. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping that just in sharing my own experience that many of you guys will, like, be able to apply it in a filter. Like, oh, I've, like, that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that feeling out of body, you're feeling very detached, disconnected. And it, so, so it is a very distinct state that you go into in dissociation. However you are still connected to reality. It's mm-hmm. not like you're suddenly psychotic. Yeah. Okay. It, it, that isn't true. You have the emotional and cognitive experience of, well, this can't be happening, right? Mm-hmm. This can't be real. This can't be happening, but you know, it is mm-hmm. still real and it is still happening. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. This is not like suddenly you become hallucinatory. Mm-hmm. Although we're going to get into this in, in just a few minutes. There are, the some people do have the experience of hallucinatory dissociation mm-hmm. um but it's a very very small small percentage mm-hmm. of the dissociating population and we'll get into that so it th- but even then it's not a psychotic episode that mm-hmm. the individual is experiencing okay mm-hmm. so a psychotic episode being marked by hallucinations or delusions mm-hmm. right a detachment from reality inability to accurately reality test you don't no, like you don't know what is real and what isn't real. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I think it's, I think it's important for us to really understand what the real dissociative identity disorder is mm-hmm. versus what has been popularized. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're going to talk all about that too, which is kind of cool. Um, so I'm going to go through the DSM criterion for mm-hmm. dissociative identity disorder. And I'm also going to go through diagnostic features, associated features, prevalence. We're going to know, you guys are going to know DID in and out before we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are so many implications for us as Christians here, um, which we'll also talk about. So um, dissoci- dissociative disorders actually have their own category in the DSM-5. Um, and those disorders underneath this subheading include dissociative identity disorder, uh, dissociative amnesia, depersonalization, derealization disorder, and then you've got other specified dissociative disorder and unspecified dissociative disorder. And if you guys have been listening for any length of time, you'll know that those last two are kind of a catch-all for symptoms that fall into this dissociative category, but don't meet all of the criterion for any of the like listed disorders above. So I'm not going to spend any time talking about any of those. We're going to focus on DID. So dissociative disorders are characterized by disruption of and or discontinuity in the normal integration of consciousness memory, identity, emotion, perception, 
body representation, motor control, and behavior. The dissociative symptoms can potentially disrupt every area of psychological functioning, which if you are chronically disconnected from yourself and from others, yeah, yeah, duh, right? Mm-hmm. It would impact every area. Yeah. Um, these disorders are frequently found in the aftermath of a wide variety of psychologically traumatic experiences in children, adolescents, and adults. Mm. So we're all, we're all like fodder. Mm. <laughs> Nobody is safe from right. the trauma. Is there a particular de- a demographic that experiences it more? We'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, just hold those, just hold that team of yeah, Clydesdale sure. horses there, Nick. We're going to get there. Um, the term traumatic experiences in this section of the DSM refers to experiences that result in psychological sequelae, which is just a fancy word for a symptom set, um, as opposed to the physiological imp- impact that can cause like a traumatic brain injury. So it's this reason specifically that dissociative disorders are placed next to trauma and stressor related disorders, but they're not included in the same category. Mm. So right next door to each other mm. because trauma begets dissociation. Mm-hmm. I hope that everybody's tracking. Um, so the, their closeness reflects the close relationship between the diagnostic classes, both acute stress disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder include dissociative symptoms like amnesia, flashbacks, numbing, depersonal, depersonalization and derealization. And we'll talk about flashbacks. Pop culture is, you know, kind of done. Hollywood has done a job of like, um, I think there was a Criminal Minds episode mm. once where there was like a war veteran who in the course of a flashback, which is a dissociative response, was like shooting people. Man, you Criminal Minds find, fans out there will have to tell me which episode I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the whole argument was that in the like over the course of a flashback where he real he f- f- was seeing hearing, touching, tasting, believing that he was back during a, like a specific combat operation. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it was, he was young, maybe the first Gulf War, Mm -hmm. um, desert storm. Anyway, he, not a Vietnam era veteran, um, or earlier, but he was sniping people, I think is what ended up happening in the episode or, or stabbing them. I don't know, but he was doing so because he was thinking that he was like killing enemy insurgents. So, um, this is this flashback experience is the exception to what I was just talking about. Those experience, those experiences can be fully perceptual like one minute you are here on my couch talking to me and the next minute you are back in the jungle Mm. looking for charlie so and everything you see everything you hear everything you smell Mm. taste feel all of it is consistent with the event like one of the traumatic events you experienced while in Mm. combat per se um so in that way your reality testing is very impaired right you are no longer connected to conscious conscious present reality um it's still not a psychotic episode Mm -hmm. okay but you are fully perceptually unaware 
of your present surroundings Mm -hmm. and only aware of the flashback experience. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that happens often. Mm -hmm. So, so even in the most traumatized individuals around people that I have worked with, but I'm talking generally, this happens in a very, very, very small subset Mm -hmm of individuals with post-traumatic stress disorder, especially mm-hmm. veterans. Um, so I, anybody that, that is telling me that they experience flashbacks on a regular basis, I, I, I either assume that they don't really know what that means, <clears throat> what an actual flashback is, or that they are being slightly hyperbolic in the way that they describe their symptom. Right. Um, and that, I don't mean that insult as insulting at all, because you can have dissociative experiences right up to that limit of flashback where you, like I said, I experienced perceptual disturbance, mm-hmm. but I still knew where I was and I mm-hmm. knew what was happening around me. I didn't fu- sudden, yeah. suddenly find myself back in a convoy in yeah. Iraq. So does that happen? Yes, it does happen. Mm-hmm. And we, we want to, if somebody, if somebody is telling you that they're having a flashback experience, you believe them because it's better to err on the side of caution. Sure, of course. Why not? Um, but yeah, I've, like I've had family members that have come back from, you know, overseas uh, and doing tours overseas and in, in the Middle East. And um, um, I'm not going to say the name of the particular member or anything like that. But um, he on the f- I think it was New Year's or on the 4th of July, he was by himself at his house and his fireworks. Just, yeah. And it was just his dog and the fireworks went off. Uh, but at the same time, his lights started flickering, like the electricity went Weird, out. Weird. Yeah. Uh, and then his dog was barking. Okay. And that reminded him of being in a you particular know, situation. In a particular situation where the environment was dark. There explosions. were bombs, explosions, yeah. and dogs barking. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was like everything that was happening was all at once. And he said that it was about 20 minutes of freezing and hyperventilating yes. and sort of a, a distortion. Now, he knew where he was at. Right, right, right. He so, didn't think he was there. Right. right? So and that that's is, exactly what you were describing. Exactly. So, so yeah. that's not a flashback, but yeah. what it is is a, yeah. is a trauma cue. Yes. Yeah. Right. And being... So responding to environmental stimulus, right, yeah. that reminds you, even if you're not, this is why I post, and go listen to our episode on post-traumatic stress disorder. This is what can be so disorienting about it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have, in, in the situation you're describing, mm-hmm. he knew mm-hmm. why all of this reminded him specifically yeah. of yeah. that he, instance. He, he was pretty well grounded on it. He was just, But it doesn't always yeah. happen that way. Yeah. It doesn't always. It yeah. Sometimes you can have no idea at all what you have been cued by mm-hmm. in the environment. And all of a sudden you'll be hit with mm-hmm. really intense psychological and physiological stress, like stress response sim- mm-hmm. sy- symptoms. My goodness. Now there's a little bit of this happen. Let's just say, um, I was extremely promiscuous in my, um, that yeah. is not the word I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, in my drug days. Right. Yes. But now I'm saved. Uh, I drive down the freeway and all of a sudden there is, um, sort of a billboard, uh, of, of, a local shop that sold, oh, yeah. you know, like, yeah, it was porn, uh, pornography right, shop right. kind of thing like that. Mm-hmm. And they're all over Arizona and they're all over the freeway. Right. 
when I first got into the kingdom, I, you know, I would see that billboard and immediately start freaking out. Sure. Um, now it wasn't, I mean, I knew where I was at and I, I wasn't put into my situation, but there was scruples going on in my heart, but the recreation of me going into those places kept, you know, cycling through my mind for the next 10 minutes. And I mm-hmm. had to, sh- I had to really shake it off. Otherwise I was going to freak out and sure. have a panic attack kind of thing. Right now that's a small version of what. So, uh, so that, yeah. so that, that is a, that is a post-traumatic stress yeah, response, yeah, that's right? Just a- if you felt like very disconnected mm-hmm. and detached from yourself mm-hmm. or from your experience, then dissociation was likely a part of that yeah. post-traumatic stress yeah. response. But it's not a flashback. So mm-hmm. so that's what I mean. Lee, there are lots and lots of experiences that get very close. Yeah, they get cl- very close to that. Right. Yeah. But yeah. for someone to experience a true flashback where one minute they are here mm-hmm. and the next moment they are not anymore mm-hmm. is very rare. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it it does. It is real. But pe- most Vietnam veterans, even though that I would argue that that is the most highly traumatized of all of our war groups for mm-hmm. lots of reasons they don't wander around c- constantly having flashbacks that is not they might wander around dissociated most of the time but mm-hmm. they're not having a flashback most of the time mm-hmm. um very very distinct and it's important that like hollywood like i said has kind of portrayed this as something that just happens to people with ptsd mm-hmm. it's not can it? Mm-hmm. Yes. But does it often? Mm-hmm. No, it does not. Um, okay. So I think we're ready for the criterion. Um, like I said, this is dissociative identity disorder. And this is the, the text revised version of the DSM-5. And I can't even, I didn't even look. It's the, our most recent version. So our A criterion, so... Remember from previous episodes, our A criterion are our prime A and B are typically our primary presenting symptoms, mm-hmm. right? The things that the disorder itself is marked by, characterized by. So A, disruption of identity characterized by two or more distinct personality states, which may be described in some cultures as an experience of possession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's in I our. Knew somebody was going to go there. That's our. Time. That's in our DSM. Mm-hmm. That's in our DSM, mm-hmm. guys. Right. So, like the world, the secular world, is going to find a way to explain away spiritual phenomenon mm-hmm. because it is observable. Mm-hmm. It happens. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's just a little teaser. Um, the disruption in identity involves marked discontinuity in sense of self and sense of agency. So like, who am I and what I have control over? Like I don't control agency being like, what control over myself do I have? This is accompanied by related alterations in affect, which is mood, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, and or sensory motor functioning. So the signs and symptoms here may be observed by others or reported by the individual. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll see that there's a lot of minimization, rationalization that happens by the actual person themselves. Um, And then like the amnestic experience that goes on like a lot of the time there's no awareness whatsoever Mm. except in some of the 
consequences. And we'll talk about that. Some of the things they notice that just don't make sense. Mm. Okay. So that's our A criterion. So that's our primary symptom expression here in the disorder. B, this is our second criterion. There are recurrent gaps in the recall of everyday events, important personal information, and or traumatic events that are inconsistent with ordinary forgetting. Memory gaps. This is not like I don't remember what I had for dinner last night, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. happens a lot. All right. Our C criterion uh, symptoms cause clinically significant distress and impairment Mm -hmm. in psychosocial functioning domains, Mm -hmm. social, so occupational, academic, social. Um, D, the disturbance is not, this is, so this is also extremely interesting. The disturbance is not a normal part of a broadly accepted cultural or religious practice. Mm. So if you're a Christian Mm -hmm. and you believe that you are being possessed by a demon, Mm -hmm. you cannot be diagnosed with DID. Mm. Because you may just be possessed by. <laughs> <laughs> this is how this is how they get around that. Yeah. Okay, so it's really that's really fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Um, our last criterion, it, this and this is, they always include this in each disorder is that the symptoms are not attributable to anything else. Like it's mm-hmm. not because of a medical condition. It's not because of complex partial seizures or substance abuse. Mm-hmm. It's not because of anything else. All mm-hmm. of that's been ruled out. Okay, so we've got two or more distinct personality states. Okay, Mm -hmm. disruption of identity that's characterized by two or more. We have dissociative amnesia. Mm -hmm. So A and B, then those symptoms have to cause clinically significant distress. If they're not causing impairment, then it isn't a disorder. Mm. D, the disturbance is not a normal part of culturally accepted Religious practices. <laughs> it's just my mind. I can't even pull my mind around it. And then our last criterion is that it's not attributable to some anything else. Mm-hmm. So I like that was my nutshell summary of mm-hmm. those. All right. What do you think of that so far? I like the uh, when they bring up the religious practices. And yeah. They're trying to separate that. What are they really saying there in your in your understanding? <clears throat> well, I think what they're saying is that like it's. it's an out Mm -hmm. right like if if the culture believes that you can be possessed by a demon and so we're going to get into this in just a second there's actually possession form Mm -hmm. did and non-possession form did Mm -hmm. yeah so if if you are part of a cultural group that believes in possession experiences Mm -hmm. that is not did Mm mm-hmm and I'm so to me, I'm really not sure how you would make that distinction if you are a secular, I, I, unbelieving psychologist or a psychiatrist. How do you so because everybody comes from a culture, every yeah. culture in the world, yeah. maybe save atheism. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, but I, maybe atheists also have are they, a are they putting that in there to cross? the T's and dot the I's so you know to prevent even some kind of protest I think what they're trying to do is have like quote cultural awareness so if it's a commonly accepted thing that Mm -hmm. demon possession is real and you present as being possessed by a demon then we would not diagnose you with Mm -hmm. dissociative identity disorder 
And it's and it's weird because coming from the how room, do you class so but but that's my question if that's true then how what would you classify it as are so now do we move into a psychotic disorder right are you are you delusional are you and hallucinating I would, be, I would be myself even as a Christian who believes in possession would be hard pressed to believe somebody that says I'm being possessed well only because in the Bible there is no presentation of a person even being aware that they're possessed they just are mm-hmm. you know. Uh, everybody else is aware. Yeah. <laughs> They're not. Right, right, right. <laughs> so. Um, I, I, I just find it really interesting. Like, to me, there's no way to draw that line, actually. Mm-hmm. So, because what, tell me one culture, historically or currently, save maybe atheism, mm-hmm. which says that they don't believe in anything immaterial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That doesn't have at least some broadly accepted experience and even an atheist will say that there are things that they they haven't explained by science and nature yet so i just don't know like how you actually draw that line Mm -hmm. if you are a secularly practicing psychologist Mm -hmm. what in what what instance then is this not true Mm -hmm. where there you have somebody that isn't part of a culture that at least to some extent I mean, because very this well, is real and a, true and possible. A person could have this, and then all of a sudden they go, I, "It feels like I'm possessed," and then they go, "You know, all right, you don't have the idea." <laughs> so, and that's and it's interesting that you said that because we're going to get into some yeah. of the the diagnostic features here. Okay. Um. So I'm just going to run us through the diagnostic features. So this this broadens our understanding of the criterion a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, so the defining feature of DID is the presence of two or more distinct personality states. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or an experience of possession. Mm -hmm. Okay. The overtness or covertness of these personality states vary as a function of psychological motivation, current stress level, cultural context, internal conflicts, conflicts and dynamics and emotional resilience. So let me translate that. Um, what they're saying is, th- so the, the defining feature is two or more distinct personality states or the experience of an experience of possession and the obvious outward manifestation or the not so obvious subtle manifestation of those personality states vary as a function of being extra stressed out. Mm-hmm. The vary as a function of motivation, mm-hmm. how the individual is motivated. Um, cultural context, again, guys, what are they actually saying yeah. here? Um, inter- internal conflicts, and uh, so that they're talking about s- the specific psychology of the individual, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then emotional resilience, meaning like how well we recover emotionally. Mm-hmm how well we emotionally cope our emotional intelligence um sustained periods of identity confusion or alteration may occur when psychosocial pressures are severe and or prolonged okay so this is true everything is worse when we're stressed out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know how like that's what they there should just be a disclaimer that runs at the screen of life everything is worse when you're stressed out it's just true okay Possession form dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this, we would not diagnose somebody with this. This would just be a, like a clinical description or a subtype. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
In those cases of DID that present as the individual being possessed by external identities, for example, spirits or demons, and in a small portion of non-possession form cases, manifestations of alternate identities or like as pop culture refers to them as alters, right, are readily observable. Mm. So they're not subtle. It's not like this shift between like, like one, one alter that's like very like friendly and loose and outgoing and extroverted to somebody who's like very shy and, and quiet. It is a demon or not a demon, Mm -hmm. right? So that's what they're saying. Readily observable Mm -hmm. versus like, covert or subtle right most individuals with non-possessive form did do not overtly display or only subtly display their discontinuity of identity and only a minority present to clinical attention as discernible alterations in identity Mm -hmm. okay i may have said this story before um but i had a clinical supervisor during one of my practicum rotations who was originally from Chicago and uh, oh, there was just a lot of things happening with this man that I won't get into. Um, not sound judge of character. Let me just put that hmm. forward. Um, and he was convinced that we had three active cases of DID in his small private practice. Right. Oh my gosh. Which when we get to the prevalence rates, everybody should just roll their eyes so hard at this. Um, people do not, people don't walk into a psychiatrist or a psychologist and say, Hey, guess what? I have DID. Yeah. yeah. It, unless they have a long history of real diagnosis of that disorder, that does not happen. And th- this goes back to what they I'm aren't saying. shifting between mm-hmm. alters in the middle of a session. They're unaware of it. Like, uh, <clears throat> this is what I'm saying about even demon position too, as well. Nobody walks into you and says, right. I think I'm being possessed by a devil. <laughs> Something's uh, happening here. <laughs> and as somebody that is, I speculate what else is going on. It's yeah. usually what is presented to me. I'm thinking the opposite. <laughs> well, just you have to take all of it with a grain of salt. Yeah. It would be unlikely. Because they're using their filters and their knowledge. That a genuine experience of DID, right? Somebody mm-hmm. who authentically is having this experience mm-hmm. would come in and say, I'm pretty sure I have multiple personality. <laughs> yeah. And if they might, if they suspect something like that is happening, usually what you'd see is a high reluctance to say it out loud. Like it would be something that you'd pull out. Yeah. I used to romanticize uh, a little thing of that. Mm. Um, This also goes always back to my street days and everything like that. (laughs) Cause I was very good at acting like different characters around different people. And sometimes I would just catch myself doing it, even if I wasn't solely looking for that atmosphere or anything like that only as a way of protecting myself, mm-hmm. or at least that's how I justified it. <laughs> you know, I like disguising your true yeah. identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, either just to protect myself or to fool them. It was manipulation really. Mm-hmm. It was. And then all of a sudden I gave myself over to that atmosphere mm-hmm. and I caught myself doing it more than once, but that I used to think that was cool and I'm aware that I was doing it. <laughs> Right. So it was a choice. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was an act of choice. Right, right, I just right. got good at it. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but play, you can see parts, you, you can see how roles. that blurs the line how somebody can go, I think I have multiple personality disorder because I'm doing this and 
well, obviously they're using their filter and their knowledge there and not understanding the criterion behind it. But you could see how that starts to, like I've always described comedy as a, 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 a social commentary and self-deprecation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you give yourself over to the distaste of social commentary and you give yourself over to this uh, 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 self-deprecative uh, mindset, it starts out funny, but then you start believing all of it later on and you become that you know or you believe it more because yeah. i think you might start out believing it but you might really believe it yeah later yeah i mean you're pointing at something there's something in you that believes it right but then yeah you start believing your own jokes fully to where it overtakes you and that's your new identity kind mm. of thing. Yeah. that's yeah nope <laughs> yeah and that was that was me in a nutshell yeah um yeah I'm glad it's so it's it's so crazy to hear you talk about it because it's just not who you are. Yeah, I know anymore. <laughs> um, okay, the elaboration of dissociative dissociative personality states with different names, mm-hmm. wardrobes, hairstyles, handwriting, accents, and so forth occurs only in a minority of individuals with the non-possessive form DID, and is not essential to diagnosis mm. not essential nope yeah nope so like being the old lady and the little kid and mm-hmm. the smoker and the non-smoker mm-hmm. very minority yeah of extreme of what is already a highly mm-hmm. minority part of yeah the population. I, I heard jordan peterson talking about this you know if we were to chronicle the last 300 years in cases it seems to pop up once and then all of a sudden it spreads and then it stops yeah and then it pops up again like 50 years later and then it spreads and stops we'll talk about that a little bit in just a sec so individuals with did may report feeling that they suddenly become depersonalized observers of their own speech and actions, which they may feel powerless to stop. So Mm -hmm. that's the like loss of agency. I don't have any control over my body, Mm. my mind. These individuals may also report perceptions of voices. For Mm. example, a child's voice, voices commenting on the individual's thoughts and behaviors, persecution, persecutory voices and Mm -hmm. command hallucinations so command hallucinations are among hallucinations they are rare um it would be like go burn that house down Mm -hmm. so so the voice is actually telling you to go do something and it's never go bake a pie Mm -hmm. just it's never that it's Mm -hmm. never go bake some sourdough bread Mm -hmm. it's go kill go destroy Mm -hmm. go do go do something generally awful Mm -hmm. Um, in some cases, hearing voices is specifically denied, mm-hmm. but the individual reports multiple perplexing independent thought streams over which they have no experience of control. Mm-hmm. Individuals with DID may report hallucinations in all sensory modalities, auditory, visual, olfactory, tactile, and gustatory olfactory mm-hmm. being smell mm-hmm. and gustatory being taste. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is like the hallucinatory experience within dissociation only occurs in this very, 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 very small subset of dissociative cases. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is not, even when it's occurring, it is 
most of the time not consistent with what a psychotic episode would be, which is a complete detachment from reality, Mm -hmm. right? It is, okay, the room appears to be shrinking. Mm -hmm. That's a visual hallucination of sorts and Mm -hmm. probably attacked, like I feel it shrinking too, Mm -hmm. but I know that it didn't actually do that, Mm -hmm. right? That's a completely different experience from somebody who is having a psychotic break. It's weird how one can shift to another too as well when under drug psychosis, um, I, I remember everything in there. All of a sudden, I, you know, I always describe it as a duality. You're watching yourself do something you don't want to do. Um, Loss of agency. Yeah. And then the trauma thereafter, after it clears up, you remember everything mm-hmm. and have to fight giving yourself over to it again, mm-hmm. which is that's just a traumatic reaction uh, from a psychotic reaction. Mm. Is there anything in here where, okay, somebody has multiple personalities. Do they remember it? And there is, is there a traumatic action, you know, afterwards? So that's not typically, like, so in that, the rare case where you've got like somebody who's got multiple alters these mm-hmm. personality states and they are shifting or switching, which is what, the terminology that's used in between them, they might be the host, right? The main human person Mm -hmm. doesn't know about the other ones. Some Mm -hmm. of the other alters will know about each other and will talk to each other even, but the, the host is typically amnestic for all of that. Mm -hmm. I remember creating this character one time on (laughs) Psilocybin called Sid. And I gave myself over to that character and I thought I was him. But it's usually, it's always drug altering. Yeah. When I experience those things. Which is what, what I think that was our D criterion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our D or E criterion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Individuals with DID um, may report strong emotions, impulses, thoughts, and even speech or other actions that suddenly materialize without a sense of personal ownership or control. This is that, uh, like autonomy and agency component again conversely thoughts and emotions may unexpectedly vanish and speech and actions may be abruptly inhibited Mm. these experiences are frequently reported as ego dystonic and puzzling so like not normally self like self-serving or what i would choose to do okay like they go against that Mm. right like i would never listen to britney spears but this this person, mm. this invader, all they want to do is listen to mm. toxic. Yeah. You know, I know. Attitudes, outlooks, and personal preferences, for example, about food, activities, gender identity may suddenly shift. So, like, I'm a boy, I'm a girl. Um, I don't like seafood. I All I want to do is eat a uh, po boy sandwich. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Individuals may report that their bodies feel different. For mm-hmm. example, like a small child, the opposite gender, different ages, and sometimes all of it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. In most individuals with DID, switching or shifting of states is subtle and may occur with only subtle changes in overt presentation. Mm. Again, that's not how it's typically portrayed, right? Like there are these giant obvious like i'm this person and now i'm this person Mm. like i'm this alter and i'm now this alter Mm -hmm. um so the 
the uh, diagnostic features for the B criterion, dissociative amnesia, that manifests in several different domains. Okay, mm-hmm. so one, gaps in any aspect of autobiographical memory, for example, important life events like getting married or giving birth, and lack of recall of uh, all school experiences before high school. Mm. Two, lapses in memory of recent events or well-learned skill. For example, how to drive, mm-hmm. use a computer, how to do one's job. Mm-hmm. Three, discovery of possessions that the individual has no recollection of ever owning. For example, clothing, weapons, tools, writing, or drawings that he or she must have created. Mm-hmm. So this would be one of the things that might happen in a cl- in a session with somebody. Mm-hmm. They show up with a bag and they have no idea how they ha- how the yo-yo mm-hmm. came to be in there or they have no idea how that lipstick ever came to be mm. in the bag. They have this stuff that they have no memory at all oh, of getting. What? I'm just <laughs> just remembering my beginning days of recovering how many times I thought like that Uh like I because I was constantly paranoid that people were messing with me coming after me or trying to show me that they are in on it without me being able to prove it I used to think that uh, that's paranoia yeah it was just paranoia just the similar things that you were saying and I'm like oh you put that in my bag on purpose when and then I had to remember that I put it but it's so that's different than what I'm describing actually because Mm -hmm. this isn't somebody must have put this there it is I have no idea how it got there and it their only actual explanation for it is me yeah Okay. Because nobody else had my purse. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. So it's not yeah. who's following me and putting stuff into yeah. my bag. It's yeah. not that. Ugh. Which is what it would have been for you. Yeah. I'm so glad I, I that's used to, over. I used to run around the house. Cause so, like, I would put my shoes somewhere, and then I forget where I put my shoes, and then I was convinced that somebody moved them on purpose. <laughs> Just oh man, like a little house elf or something. Yeah. yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah. That reminds me of the like trickster p- persona and all yeah. this like demonology stuff, yeah. like moving tools. And, except somebody did something. Move yeah. did move something. Okay. Yeah. Um, dissociative fugues. So for any of you uh, Breaking Bad fans out there. Uh, that's my favorite show of all time. Yeah. Um, Walter White fakes a dissociative fugue, mm-hmm. um, but this is actually a real thing that yeah. happens. Where he walks naked in the uh, so, <laughs> in the right grocery into the store. into the yeah. into the grocery store. Your is it a grocery stink. store? Or is it a? It's a grocery store. Okay. And I remember Skylar going, "When is uh, when am I going to get a fugue state?" Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, she didn't believe him whatsoever. No. He just did. She it. knew. He was just a <laughs> smart dude. Um, so dissociative fugues with amnesia for travel are common. Mm-hmm. So individuals may report suddenly finding themselves in another city at work or even at home in a closet under the bed or running out of the house without any, how did I come to be here? Mm-hmm. No memory of that. Amnesia in individuals with DID is not limited to stressful or traumatic events. It can involve everyday events. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's interesting, right? Individuals may report major gaps in ongoing memory, for example, experiencing time loss or blackouts or coming to in the midst of something. Mm. You know, it was interesting. Do you know who um, George uh, George St. Pierre is talking about? Oh, that sounds really familiar. He's a UFC fighter. Okay. He was on a podcast one time and then all of a sudden he deviated to a strange conversation that floats around the internet today where he says he loses about three or four hours of time a day 
and he doesn't know where they go, and he's convinced that he's, you know, like aliens. What? Like yeah. Well, is it traumatic brain injury? Well, I mean, he's a UFC fighter, yeah, so I'm thinking the, some CTE is going oh, on. Oh, man. But, yeah, actually, I think he told that to Dro Rogan. This was some odd years ago, but it's it was a strange thing to see him. I, I he, he still kind of fights every once in a while, and so, like, he's still in great shape, and but, like, yeah, that was a weird one where he's he's convinced that I he uses about three or four hours a day. I cannot even imagine how mm. terrifying that would be. <laughs> to lose well, all of a sudden. It's, Seriously, think about it's like noon. All of a sudden it's four, four o'clock. Yeah. Right. And it's and yeah. that happens to you every single day. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. What? And he's convinced about aliens. Uh, he's filling in the gap with aliens. Oh, Georgie. I don't know where he got that from. Well, I think it's just because he was talking to Joe Rogan. Demon possession. I don't yeah. know. Okay, guys. There's something going on. If that's happening to you, go to the doctor yeah. immediately. Yeah. Like, yeah. go there right now. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with to just check it up. No. And go then there's, there's nothing wrong. Okay. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick. Ah, okay. That I believe you. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine. Like, I, so I feel it like if I, I mean, this is not the same thing as losing time, but like if I, because I'm so busy. If I'm like, if 15 minutes get squandered, I'm like, uh, I yeah. cannot imagine what four hours would do. So when I edit videos yeah, and I start at noon and all of a sudden I'm done and it is four o'clock, I felt like I'm, <laughs> but you know what you're actually I know, doing. Yeah. I know where it's that time like went. A... I know where that time went, but I'll, I'll look at the clock and I go, are you kidding me? <laughs> it took me that long. I but just lost the day. So, but that's totally different. Yeah, and yeah. you're being productive though. Yeah. 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 You know, it just takes crazy. Time. It's not black. Yeah. Did you see, what the heck is the name of this movie? I really like this movie and I never remember the name of it. It's got Carrie Russell in it. <sighs> okay. If I remember it later, guys, I will, <laughs> we can update the, the uh, social media, but it's about, it's the dark skies. That's the name of it. Oh, okay. And it's all, it's, an, it, yeah. it's, oh, it's good. It's yeah. actually really good. The only movie I haven't seen. That you it's like of. an alien abduction thing. It's really good. Mm-hmm. I like it. It was a good, good movie. Anyway, both of them have big black periods in the day. Okay. Yeah. That are unexplainable. Um, okay. Possession form identities mm-hmm. in DID typically manifest behaviorally as if a, quote, spirit, supernatural being, or outside person, end quote, has taken control with the individual speaking or acting in a distinctly different manner. Mm-hmm. The identities are recurrent unwanted, involuntary, and cause clinically significant distress. Of course. Most possession states that occur around the world are part of a broadly accepted cultural or religious practice and therefore do not meet criteria Mm. for DID. Mm. Interesting. Brings that up again. It's so interesting to me because essentially they're aligning with like what we would say as Christians, but what they're, they're not saying this is actual possession. Mm. Right. They're not saying that. But what they are saying is we don't know what it is. And because it's part of a broad culture, cultural experience, we are going to excuse it from this as being a disorder. Could that also mean that, you know, they've deviated from uh, a rationalism, empirical worldview? Is there any kind of other worldview that psychologists talk about holistically that may give them the assumption of a higher power? whatever spiritual thing you mean that are within going on. the dsm well i mean yeah i mean i guess that's all i we don't have to go off to i really I mean, don't know i'm 
I I think that it's clear because Freud would turn over in his grave right now. Like there, the god here is like evolution. Okay, like I think that would be. They're trying to explain maybe a spirituality within an evolutionary framework. I think that's what it's all based on mm. is an evolutionary framework. Yeah, I'll, that I mean, would be my understanding. The way too. the DSM is is formulated is it's not one person writing this book. It's mm-hmm. multiple groups yeah. of people from all areas of like mental health expertise, mm-hmm. anthropologists, social, everybody together come comes together and they work on a specific section mm-hmm. of the diagnostic manual Isn't it weird that the, that's how we do um textual critical analysis in the bible and, and translations and things like that wait wait it's, it's that, not just one person it's oh no well because of course six, it, like it yeah, no six or seven different people that it has have to, different sections and are experts you need and, to yeah. actually yeah. It, it is wise to extract information from a large group of people mm-hmm. who are studied in it yeah. Um, I just, you know, the, sometimes the DSM is like the Bible to some people. Oh, no. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, like anything big like this is going to actually mimic what yeah. God outlines for us yeah, in exactly. scripture. So that's and, not and we're surprising. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to move to associated features. So we just went through diagnostic features. Now we're going to go through associated features. Mm-hmm. Individuals with DID typically present with comorbid depression. Mm-hmm. So Features that are associated with a diagnosis, okay? Depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and self-injury. Mm. Non-epileptic seizures and other functional neurological symptoms are prominent in some presentations. Mm. So some individuals may present with uh, refractory neurological symptoms like headache, headaches, symptoms, and symptoms suggestive of multiple sclerosis, mm. which is crazy to me. Mm. Individuals with DID often conceal or are not fully aware of disruptions in consciousness, amnesia, or other dissociative symptoms. Mm. Many individuals with DID report the experience of dissociative flashbacks, during which they experience a sensory reliving of a previous event as thought as though it was occurring in the present. We talked about that a little bit, yeah. This often occurs with a change of identity, a partial or complete loss of contact with or disorientation to current reality during the flashback, as well as a subsequent amnesia for the content of the flashback. Hmm. So they might have no idea where they were, but somebody observing them observes them acting like they're back in combat. Hmm. That would, like a... Uh, post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. right? D- kind of flashback. <clears throat> Individuals with DID typically report multiple types of interpersonal maltreatment during childhood and adulthood. Okay, so now we're going to get into some of the um, observed history of individuals who do go on to develop this mm. disorder. Other overwhelming early life events, such as multiple long, painful early life medical procedures, also might be reported. Mm. Non-suicidal self-injury is frequent. Non-suicidal self-injury. So cutting would be an example of that, Mm -hmm. hitting yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, On standardized measures, DID individuals report higher levels of hypnotizability. Mm. It's a great word. And dissociative symptoms compared to other clinical groups and healthy control groups. Mm -hmm. 
Some individuals experience transient psychotic phenomena or episodes. Among personality features, avoidant personality features most often rate highest in people with DID. Some prefer to be entirely alone, Hmm. which, yeah, especially if your trauma is personal, like personal relation related. That would be a coping mechanism. (laughs) When decompensated, some individuals with DID display features of borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. For example, self-destructive, high-risk behaviors, and mood instability. Mm-hmm. Many individuals with DID also display attachment problems, but typically do not exhibit, exhibit frantic activity to avoid being abandoned, which is also a component of um, borderline personality disorder. And um, one of the episodes that we are getting ready to record is all on parenting styles yeah. and attachment. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about attachment trauma because it's related. Um, and we'll see that a lot there. So some, some people with DID have stable long-term relationships, albeit frequently dysfunctional mm-hmm. and or abusive ones from which they may have difficulty extricating themselves. Yeah. So domestic violence high here. Obsessional personality features are common in DID more so than histrionic features. And so this is just looking at personality disorders and features that are commonly associated with DID. So less histrionic um, and more obsessional. Um, A subgroup of individuals with DID do have narcissistic and or antisocial personality features. Um, which, man, that would be really and hard, I think, to... I have a hard time imagining what that is like. What that would present as. And uh, you've <clears throat> never talked to anybody clinically? No. That has exhibited that? Yeah. No, 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 no. I've mm-hmm. never met... I've met people that my clinical supervisor yeah. thought was were DID, but no. I've three ne- cases. Oh, my goodness that. gracious. Lord, help us. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to move into prevalence. <laughs> okay, so uh, this should help anybody who is wondering how common this is. We're mm-hmm. about to tell you. 12-month prevalence. So all that means is over the course of a year, okay, in uh, it, this is looking at a population in the U.S. So it's very clear that we don't have a ton of studies on this mm-hmm. and it's clear because these are the only two statements that are made right here. 12 month prevalence of DID among adults in a small U S community study was 1.5%. Okay. <clears throat> That's over the course of a year. Lifetime prevalence of DID was 1.1% in a representative sample of community based women in Turkey. Mm. We don't have a ton of studies looking at prevalence Mm. of this Um, because it's so rare that's what i like guys Mm -hmm. not common not common dissociation common Mm -hmm. dissociative identity disorder uh, uncommon Mm -hmm. very uncommon so we're going to get ready to talk about this in more detail in just a second guys that's a good thing by the way (laughs) right it's a really good thing (laughs) um before Sybil, who this is like, this is one of the more famous cases. And we'll talk about Sally Field was in a movie portraying her. Um, There was only about a hundred documented medical cases in or cases in medical literature up until that point after the movie. Right. 
so, and then the DSM, including multiple personality disorder as a diagnosis, the DSM three in 1980, there's this huge burst of diagnosing this disorder, clinics popping up, treatment centers popping up. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you, like there are so many horrid horror stories of people who went to treatment, got diagnosed with this and then developed false memories of abuse and trauma that never happened. And then later on they come back and they say, what? And like, this never happened to me. We see diagnoses Mm -hmm. like this all the time. Even like in gender dysphoria, well, they're not even calling it whatever. ADHD, ADHD, autism. How many... Right. And then all of a sudden psychology popular. gets, yeah. And all of a sudden psychology gets undermined in because these quote unquote doctors either give themselves over to this or people pay enough money to receive the diagnosis that they want to. I don't know how this happens. It's like, it's a confirmation bias. Like you, when you're, you, you're looking for it. And so you find it. Yeah. yeah. That's seek and you, you shall find. Yeah. So, and it, it's super dangerous. That's mm-hmm. so dangerous. Um, and it's, but it's common, right? It, this is something that we do when we learn about something, we start seeing it in places we hadn't seen it before. Sometimes that's real. Sometimes that you're making a new analysis of the, and, and other times, well, you are so highly familiar with what you have just been studying that you, you start seeing it in places. It, it's weird because it could work the other way. If somebody were just speculatory over this and squashes it. Then you wouldn't see it anymore. <laughs> so well, it, that would catch on. You know what I mean? I, there are lots of people that have been that yeah. and it didn't squash. Yeah. I mean, there's been a huge downtick in this since mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s. Thank mm-hmm. God. Okay. So development and course. So the development of this disorder and the course of this disorder. DID may first manifest at almost any age from early childhood to late in life. Mm. Children usually do not present with identity shifting, instead presenting primarily with independently acting imaginary companions or as personified, quote, mood states. Mm. This is happy. Meet happy. Mm -hmm. Dissociation in kids may generate problems with memory, concentration, and attachment and may be associated with traumatic play. In adolescence, DID commonly comes to clinical attention because externalizing symptoms such as suicidal or self-destructive behavior or rapid behavioral shifting um, is apparent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, there's other other diagnoses that are confused, that get confused are ADHD and then child childhood bipolar disorder. So like you might be misdiagnosed with one of those things. Mm-hmm. As an adolescent, some children with DID can also be quite aggressive and irritable. And that was literally all that it said. Yeah. Well. It could be quite aggressive. Or irritable. Okay. Or irritable. Other individuals may present with symptoms that appear to be late in life. To be appear to be late in life, mood disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, paranoia, psychotic mood disorders, or even cognitive disorders attributable to dissociative amnesia. So this, there's risk of this in any category that you can see a symptom and attribute it to something else. Okay. Risk and prognosis factors. Mm -hmm. So this is what puts people more at risk for developing the disorder and likely outcome. Like Mm -hmm. what's the likelihood that it's going to get better. So in the context of family and attachment psychology, 
early life trauma, for example, neglect, physical, sexual, emotional abuse, usually before ages five to six years, represents a risk factor for Mm -hmm. DID. In studies from diverse geographic regions, about 90% of individuals with DID report multiple types of early neglect and childhood abuse, often extending into late adolescence. Some individuals report that maltreatment primarily occurred outside of the family, in school, church, uh, neighborhoods, including being bullied severely. Other forms of repeated early life traumatic experiences include multiple painful medical and surgical procedures, Mm. war, terrorism, or being trafficked beginning in early childhood. Mm. Genetic and physiological factors, risk factors, and prognosis. Twin studies suggest that genetics account for about 45% of the individual variance in dissociative symptoms, with non-shared stressful and traumatic environmental experiences accounting for them for most of the additional variance, mm. so the other 55%. S- uh, several brain regions have been implicated in the pathophysiology of DID, including the orbitofrontal cortex, hippocampus, parahippocampal gyrus and the amygdala. So these are all areas that are linked to emotional memory, the stress response, um, and act like higher cognitive functioning that in the orbital frontal cortex. Mm. So course modifiers, things that might impact the course of the disorder, ongoing sexual, physical, and emotional trauma often lead to significant, uh, significant difficulties in later functioning. Mm. Poor outcomes are found in adults um, and is like commonly related to severe psychosocial stressors, re-victimization, ongoing sexual or physical abuse or exploitation, intimate partner violence, um, substance abuse, eating disorders, severe medical illness, enmeshment with the individual's abusive family of origin or ongoing involvement in criminal subgroups. But I have no, I don't know if that's gangs. I don't know what. Criminal subgroups. Yeah. I'm not really sure. There there wasn't any more information about that. Culture-related diagnostic issues. Many features of DID can be influenced by the individual's sociocultural background. Hmm. Hmm. In settings where possession symptoms are common, for example, rural areas and low- and middle-income countries, among certain religious groups in the U.S. and Europe, (laughs) all or some of the fragmented identities may take the form of possessing spirits, deities, demons, animals, or mythical figures. Hmm. Possession form DID can be distinguished from culturally accepted possession states in that the former is involuntary, distressing and uncontrollable it involves conflict between the individual and their surroundings family social or work milieu and it is manifested at times and in places that violate cultural or religious norms Hmm. okay except at what point in time do you find somebody that believes that they're possessed talking about how wonderful it is yeah and like yeah i'm so glad that this is happening to me Right now. Yeah. Wonderful. You know, I'm thinking of that one time in uh, Acts, Paul rebuked a strange spirit out of a girl that uh, actually people were using for divination and fortune telling. Yeah, I remember. Yes. But she had a mocking spirit, and I don't think that this girl was aware, mm-hmm. you know, of anything going on. And then they rebuked the spirit, and she was in her right and mind. And then the parents were mad. Because and then they were mad because they- That they, was their meal ticket. Yeah. That was their, you know- the, Money-making. That was, yeah, money-making daughter with the divination. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. 
Okay. Sex and gender related prevalence. Women with DID predominate in adult clinical settings, Mm. but in child and adolescent clinical settings or in the general population, there is no predominance. Mm. So it's seen equally among men and women outside Mm. of adult clinical settings Mm. to answer your question Mm. about, is there a group that more often experiences Mm -hmm. this? Associations with suicidal thoughts and behavior. So suicidal behavior is frequent. Over 70% of outpatients with the disorder have attempted suicide. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Multiple attempts are common and other high risk and self injurious behaviors are also highly prevalent. Functional consequences of DID in children and adolescents. There's potentially poor functioning in school and relationships. However, some might do well in school because they experience it as a respite. Yeah. As a, yeah. <clears throat> in adults, impairment varies wildly from apparently minimal, for example, high-functioning high professionals, to profound. Mm. Um, Higher-functioning individuals may have symptoms that impair their relational, marital, family, and parenting functions more than their occupational and professional. Mm. Many individuals show improvement in occupational and personal functions over time with treatment. Others may be impaired in most activities of daily living and function at the level of chronic and persistent mental illness. Mm. So one of the things that we're not talking about today are the current treatments for DID or any of the historical treatments. Um, But I do think we're going to do an on the couch episode that touches on those. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, become a patron. Um, But there's just too much information. This would be a seven hour episode if we went through. We're willing to go there for you. if you (laughs) We will go there, but we're going to do it on the couch when Mm -hmm. we can Mm -hmm. job out it a little less clinically. Mm Okay, so um, I think before I really turn it over to you, Nick, um, talking about some of the cultural, social, the experience, the people who we know culturally Mm -hmm. who we have associated with this, Mm -hmm. I thought we couldn't, we can't have a discussion about this really without talking about the the movies and the the famous cases, so... There are actually, there are a lot of movies that touch on this. Um, this list is not exhaustive in any stretch. So, uh, Sybil, The Three Faces of Eve, Voices Within, The mm-hmm. Lives of Trudy Chase. Those are three movies that are based on real people and events. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have movies that I like a lot more, <laughs> mm-hmm. like Fight Club, mm-hmm. uh, Identity, and then Split. Mm-hmm. Did you see Split? No, I didn't see Split. I'm not a big M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, I love um, I love his Shyamalama ding dong. That's yeah, what James and I yeah, call him. You, it's a love-hate relationship with that guy. <laughs> um, but I thought Split was excellent. And it's it's Hollywood, but the main... I guess, he's technically an antagonist mm-hmm. in it, is multiple. Mm-hmm. He's got DID, yeah. supposedly, and all of these different alters that function. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, just if you're interested in watching some stuff that mm-hmm. portray this, those are some examples for you. So um, I thought it was important that we kind of talk about the lady that really made this popular. So in 1954, two psychiatrists 
stunned the public with a patient that they called Eve. Hmm. Um, Eve was a Georgia, was a housewife from Georgia who appeared to have three distinct personality types. So we will link um, a PBS video that has actual clips of this woman um, moving, switching, shifting between altars. So you can actually see it. It's very interesting. Um, so in, in the 1950s, there was literally not a single psychiatrist around that wasn't aware of mm-hmm. Eve. Okay. And including Dr. Cornelia Web- Wilbur, mm-hmm. Wilbur, like Wilbur the pig, mm-hmm. right? Um, who at the time was treating a young graduate student named Shirley Mason. And Shirley Mason would later come to be known as Sybil. Sybil. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Web- Wilbur, I keep wanting to call her Weber, um, would go on to identify 16 distinct personalities mm-hmm. within Sybil. Um, and uh, th- so there's, there's a book on this called Sybil Exposed by uh, Debbie Nathan. And it's, I have not read the book. I read clips of it, like little excerpts of it preparing for this. Um, but it really outlines like the entire history of this. And it's very, very interesting. Um, there are a lot of people that now are of the opinion that Sybil really was kind of just a, like a, a brilliant and disturbed person, but that these, the experience of these altars was largely fabricated Mm -hmm. by her and encouraged by Dr. Wilbur. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but she was kind of the, the, in other words, she would give me a run for my money. Perhaps. (laughs) Uh, she was really the like jumping off point. There was a book written, she collaborated on with an author whose name I'm blanking on at the moment that sold like a billion copies. Um, There was a TV show, and then there was a made-for-TV movie starring Sally Field, who played Sybil. Mm -hmm. And there were all of these, like, essentially retrieved memories or found memories by Sybil of her mom just doing the most horrendous and heinous kinds of abuse um, including like, um, we should put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode, like, um, inserting objects into her genitals, awful, mm-hmm. awful stuff. Um, and really we don't have any idea whether or not any of that's actually true. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we do know that, uh, Shirley Mason, who would become Sybil was a disturbed, emotionally disturbed individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was brilliant, but we do not know how much of any of this was a function of, mm-hmm implanted memory and encouragement by her psychiatrist at the time to be (laughs) hyperbolic. Right. We do. And, and, and remember culturally at the time there is this Eve, Mm -hmm. right. Who like everybody knows about this. Everybody within the mental health world at that point in time knows about this. And just like Mm -hmm. we were talking about, once you start are interested in something and you start, turning toward it and researching it, you start to look for it in places, even if that isn't conscious on your part. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of belief that that's really what happened. But if you're interested in the story of Sybil, um, you can watch the Sally Field movie. Um, you can There's the original book, Sybil, and then there's this commentary by Debbie Nathan called Sybil Exposed, and it's very interesting. And then there's an anime called Psychopaths, where <laughs> Sybil is the government. 
Yeah. So with 16 different <laughs> that brains That should be operating. one we actually yeah. watch. With, yeah. we, we do in our like little movie club. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's another really famous case. Um, um, and this, so this is the case of Billy Milligan. And he was the first person to be found guilty, guilty except insane based on a diagnosis of multiple personality disorder. Um, and we'll, I'll link articles to both, uh, to both this Sybil and then to Billy Milligan so that you guys can read them for yourselves. Um, but just like as an overview of this case in October of 1977, authorities arrested 22 year old Billy Milligan and charged him with the kidnapping robbery and rape of three Ohio state university students. An, o- an OSU police officer who rode with Milligan to Columbus, Ohio police headquarters told the Columbus dispatch in a 2007 interview, I couldn't tell you what was going on, but it was like I was talking to different people at different times mm-hmm. and talking to Billy. During a psychiatric evaluation, Milligan alleged no wrong- wrongdoing, blaming one of his alters or alternative identities, Reagan, for the robberies and another Adelana for the kidnapping and sexual assaults. Milligan claimed to have 24 alternate personalities. Hmm. On December 4th, 1978, in a landmark trial, Milligan became the first defendant found not guilty by reason of insanity due to multiple personality disorder, reclassified in 93 as dissociative identity disorder. Hmm. Okay, so really fascinating stuff. And like, it just goes to show how this kind of stuff actually influences in a huge way mm-hmm. law law right and let me tell you like it's not a treat to be imprisoned or confined in a mental institution but it's a heck of a lot better than going to a state prison mm-hmm. leaps and bounds better like you have a bed and a bathroom you can go into not just a toilet in a cell right. it's much much safer i mean i and i'm basing all of that on my experience working at the state hospital um that had a, a forensic unit and it wasn't populated entirely by people who'd been found guilty except insane at the time they committed crimes mm-hmm. no did that mm-hmm. i nope not at the time i was there maybe now so anyway just really interesting stuff. Um, and while I was researching this, I saw that Roseanne Barr supposedly has DID. <laughs> I didn't see that. I don't know if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Maybe I some, believe it. <laughs> maybe somebody else out there <laughs> can comment on it. But yeah. that was a name that popped up in my research. So anyway, we have just overloaded you guys with information. And there's a lot to process here. But I want to... I really want us to focus as we wrap this up on, so what does all of this mean to us, right? As Christ, as Christians, how do we understand this phenomenon? Um, what do we, how do we talk about it, right? What, what do we let in and what do we keep out? Um, what would God, you know, what does God say about something like this? And <clears throat> you know, how are we supposed to... How are we supposed to speak into this issue as Christians? Yeah, obviously it's a product of the fall too as well. But even on the last case, let's go in and on it. Um, me as a theonomist would still find the guy guilty, would still punishable uh, by God's law. I wouldn't have, um, uh, and that's that's me. That's my understanding of uh, theonomy as well. Um, 
The thing is, he may think he has multiple personalities, and he may uh, really believe that. He may be manifesting that, and his brain brain may be tricking him on that. But the reality is, he's one person made in the image of God and standards of justice, not just because he's committed the act, but the victims of the family Mm -hmm. deserve, you know, justice, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Um, And um, I think that I'm thinking of that in in, in that case. Um, So... It questions are, 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 are things like state hospitals with this kind of, you know, um, I guess you can call them inmates or patients, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, are they just, are they unjust? Well, that's a discussion too that, as well. A, Should yeah. it influence? That's a completely, yeah. that's like Should, another episode. Sure. Should it influence law as we say, as we say, um, and, um, you know, uh, again, me as a theonomist, um, don't think it has to be that complicated, Mm-mm. but, um, <clears throat> You know, um, have you ever seen the movie Shutter Island? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah with that's Lena, good. I mean, that's a, a pretty much a direct, you know, correlation to what we've been talking sure. about today. But at the end of the movie, it was interesting when um, I think it's John Leguizamo, is it? And I, that's somebody I else that looks remember. like him. Uh, he's talking to Leonardo DiCaprio in there, and after his, uh, you know, tirade of running around the immense institution thinking he's a detective when he's really not a detective, they wanted to Spoiler alert. Yeah, they wanted, well, yeah, This, if you haven't seen it, then I don't know where you've been. <laughs> but uh, it's a great movie. Um, and they let him role play right. this whole thing to try to, Force them out of it, really. So when when we do our On the Couch episode about treatment, the goal is integration of the alters. Yeah. So so, uh, bringing together into one personality all of the various personalities. And you you can see why they would do that. It it does make sense. I don't know if it's ever worked. But um, uh, in this case, um, it seemed at the end of the movie that Leonardo DiCaprio, it, it did work. Right. Well, and, kind and, of. And now he's just going to fake it because he doesn't actually want to live the memory of him committing the crime or the reason why he was there in the first place. I'll leave that mm-hmm. so you don't have to be spoiled. And that was interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you mentioned earlier that this, you know, some of our dissociation could be a God gift, you know, oh, yeah. uh, I think blocking the, us from that. the ability of it of it mm-hmm. to protect us in like over the course of something really traumatic is absolutely mm-hmm. a mercy mm-hmm. just like anything else sin has corrupted and impacted mm-hmm. what was not you know not intended to be mm-hmm. corrupt and if you look at the world <laughs> around us and if you look at our environment and how many things are going on and how many things happen to us um, on a day-to-day basis stimulus whatever that you're not aware of it's amazing that you're even distracted by the things that you are distracted by given the odds that you can be distracted by anything else um, and the things that happen show us i mean our internal desires what our heart is going to be given ourselves over to the reason why i mention that is because there's always going to be a veneer of truth in dissociation that is predicated upon those things, upon your own heart, upon your own mind, upon all what you know. And we can see the categories and the traces of human depravity, corruption, but then also the God-giving, you know, glorifying attributes to save us from particular things and mm-hmm. mercies. To, you can, yeah. You can always... To blunt, yeah, to blunt it. Yeah, and I just find that fascinating um this morning my mom was looking at the moon it was still out oh yeah it's been a daylight moon right for the last few days and um and 
she just kept saying, man, you know, it's going down. It's like, you know, one second I look over and it's there. And next second, you know, it's behind the house now because it was getting ready to go down and everything like that. Sun's coming up. Moon's going down. And she goes, I just found that fascinating. It's just there in space and blah, blah, blah. And she's been obsessed with the moon lately. I don't know. She keeps mm. looking at the moon. And she likes it. She finds it pretty. Why it not? Is, it's it, pretty. It, it is pretty. And uh, then we started talking about various places where you can see it bigger, where you can see the sun bigger. I was over in Africa. The sun is huge there. All that stuff. Right. But then I started realizing and I'm like, you know, I, I started sectioning off the sky and in my environment as well. I saw my house uh, or, or a house across uh, the street. I was in my backyard, a house, you know, I see their backyard and a bunch of birds sitting on top of it. Then the moon, my mom mentioned. And then over to the right, uh, there was another house and a plane was going across it. And I go, look at the sections of God's design here. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What does this happen, uh, have to do with dissociation or <clears throat> anything like that? Um, you may ask, but I see an intricate design made by God, mm -hmm. right? I, and I, if I stop and I can take that in and I can look uh, at everything, all the sections, everything that he's uh, put together, I think about dissociation in that way. And reason why I think of dissociation that way is because you have a lapse in memory. Is there a design in here? Is mm. there a section of design? Is this the product of the fall? Is this saving? Is this God using a bad thing for good um, or vice versa? Um, and then how are you talking about dissociation? How many times because our mind and because uh, uh, we've been built in a particular way, let's just say uh, a killing or a murder or whatever like that. Um, you want to block that out of your mind. Why do you want to block that? How has God created you to where you even want to block that out of your mind? Or you just have a strange impulse to do that. Is mm -hmm. it active? Is it not active? We see these things. And if you could just take a step back, just like I look at, at the, the creation and see the human condition in such a complex, intricate way, knowing what God sees and knowing what we've only identified so far, it's so complex that mm -hmm. it would be undermining everything to just predicate these things on upon a single varying cause. Um, or it started with this event, or it started with that, or it started with this. There are so many things that are going on. Yeah, for sure. Oh, why you manifested this way, or why, you know, <clears throat> why in these multiple personality disorders, this guy, one guy likes to party, and one guy likes to steal things, and one like, and knowing that you only know what you know, <laughs> as well you know um it, it, you have to think that those things are buried into the human heart even beforehand even before they started manifesting itself yeah totally i think so i think the argument is like the splitting of identity happens as a way to protect just like mm -hmm. dissociation as a protective mechanism against like the sharpness of some of the trauma the splitting of identity occurs because the whole person can't handle mm -hmm. like the gravity of what's going on mm -hmm. and the different alters, which tend to be like very unidimensional, mm -hmm. like one might be promiscuous and one might mm -hmm. be angry. It's not like complex mm -hmm. persons that exist in each alter. It's like one prominent feature. Mm -hmm. 
And to want to not associate it with yourself, <clears throat> give yourself over to another diet, uh, you know, identity. Right. Like this identity, like, is shows takes control yeah. here, right? Shows that shame is taking over mm-hmm. in some cases. So, like I think I was one of the questions I thought about was like, where have how have we seen this in history? And I think that anything like this that wasn't demon possession would have probably been classified that way historically or yeah. spirit possession. But I also think that like throughout history and especially around the time of the incarnation through Jesus's ministry and then crucifixion, it largely was demon oppression mm-hmm. and possession. Mm-hmm. Like the activity was, yeah, I'm going to take the Bible word for right it, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do also still believe that because of, I believe because this is what scripture tells us that those, those things are still very real. We live in a physical and a supernatural world. Mm -hmm. And as a Christian, that has to inform your understanding Mm -hmm. of any of this. Does that mean that we automatically assume somebody who says they're demon possessed is no, it doesn't mean that. But I think what it does mean is that it's, it doesn't, get eliminated as a possibility until we have eliminated it as mm-hmm. a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the whole secular psychological world very likely would groan at me for saying that. Um, although I know I'm not alone in that, link, no. but, but this is, it's very true. It's very real. Even the DSM writers have made a, a, a an exception for mm-hmm things that present in accordance with major cultural and religious beliefs. Well, why do they do that? Mm-hmm. Well, because the larger culture is not experiencing it as a mental illness. That's mm-hmm. not what it is. Mm-hmm. If everybody who thought they were demon possessed, we classified underneath the dis- dissociative identity disorder, then the prevalence would be s- very different than the prevalence that I quoted earlier mm-hmm. like 1.5 1 1.5% in a small US population and 1.1% in a representative sample of Turkish women mm-hmm. so we would see a complete a totally different prevalence rate if every time we included people who had possession experiences mm-hmm. right underneath this category of being mentally <clears throat> ill it's interesting that you mentioned turkish women too as well because in turkey um which, um, you know, it's highly, I mean, in that state, highly biblical area, um, ran by um, Islam, but it's a very religiously oppressive state. It's, you can't give yourself over to Orthodox Sunni or or Shiite or anything like that. You just have to declare Islam and that's it. And actually, if you're caught doing anything other, you're considered disassociating from law and you can get in trouble for that. Um, and so not just dis- like dissenting from or dissenting, whatever, mm-hmm. but like you can get in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you're not allowed to declare a, any of this. And so it, there's a, there, there's tense scrutiny, um, um, over there too, as well. And I'm wondering if anything has to do with that, you know, uh, by law too, as well, just from the stories that I've heard for people coming back from Turkey over the air force base that is over there. What if has anything to do with what? The religious oppression that is going oh, on over there. Oh, well, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm. I mean, huge religious oppression. Yeah, I'm. With a president that's been there for a while who keeps getting reelected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, right. Uh, um, it's just so funny that you mentioned 
turkey. You know, oh well, I mean that's out of everything, just yeah. because that's what was listed mm-hmm. as a yeah. what was re- like what was consulted in the prevalence data. Mm-hmm. Um, I think God wants us to look at this like He wants us to look at everything with wisdom from from a biblical foundation, right? Which means we start with sin is real, the impact of sin is real on our soul, on our physical body. Mm-hmm. Um, which means disease and disorder are affected by sin. Um, We shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. We shouldn't be afraid to say, Mm -hmm. no, sometimes people actually are demon-possessed. That's Mm -hmm. real. That's a real thing. It wasn't just ancients not understanding what was going on. And you see how we define that, and we have no problem mentioning that, because in in the beginning and earlier in this episodes, we were... You know, we were saying that nobody comes to you going, I think I'm demon possessed, demon possessed. I need an exorcism. They usually don't know. Right. Or they don't understand. Right. They're not going back and forth. Really horrible, weird stuff is happening. Yeah. But they don't know what it is. Yes. Right. And you can use biblical criterion to discern. Yes, you can. And then if somebody starts talking about traumatic experiences and blankness and things mm-hmm. like that, I'm not thinking demon possession. Right. All right. This is dissociation in some kind of form. We have now the physical reality, the criterion and mm-hmm. the spiritual reality of that. Right. And then yes, it can get complicated where the lines start to blur. Right. <laughs> All right. Where are we, where are we at in this, you know? And I think as a Christian, we're the only ones that should be able to, use this criterion and we should be the one that's doing the studies and the DSM might look a very, uh, very different, right? but it might be more qualified. Um, and I think as Christians, we have the foundation of the purpose to study these things, to diagnose these well, things. To, we're supposed to be taking dominion. So and because we're going to <clears throat> actually wrap up the physical world and the spiritual world mm-hmm in this sense. We don't have to be afraid of these things. A lot of people are afraid of diagnosis like this mm-hmm. because if it's not demon possession, well, it just like the, um, the, uh, the, uh, Billy, um, and he got, um, pretty much, you know, a, a plea of insanity. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And <laughs> a lot of people, they go, well, if this disorder exists, then they can't be held responsible. Right. And if you can't be held responsible, then it's all internal. Then there's no such thing as sin. Oh, there's no such thing as God right. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't see me bat an eye no. <laughs> in no. this while still also right. understanding who he is, <laughs> what the laws of justice are. Mm-hmm. God's law is simple. That's why I mentioned that. I mean, it's it's not simple, but you know what I mean. Very practical and punitive. Right. Okay. And because there's a low number of this <laughs> this disorder too as well, I think even more so we right. could use the economy, I, but, So yeah. there, you know, in this in the psychiatric psychological community, there's still like large dissension about whether or not this this kind of manifesta- manifestation of DID with the different alters, et cetera, is even real. Yeah. Um I sympathize with this, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I think that totally if we were able to capitalize on it before anything bad may happen, then we should and we should treat it. Sure. You know, well, before anything worse. Yeah. Before anything worse could happen. Right. right? If it's not impacting you, it isn't a disorder. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion, I think personally that, um, if we can, if we can observe and chronicle a dissociative flashback, like somebody experiencing that and they Mm -hmm. are clearly not 
present with you, mm-hmm. but in a reality like of an experience or an event that took place before that was highly traumatic. Mm-hmm. In my mind, there's no reason that this couldn't also happen, that you couldn't have the experience of split altars, right? Mm-hmm. That function incongruence is my, may, may not be the right word, but like simultaneously concurrently with, with someone as a host personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is extremely rare. Mm-hmm. Um, not just, I don't just think that, but like the, the American psychiatric association also says that as extremely rare. And when we look at cases of people who, who are quote, like, you know, possession form DID. Mm -hmm. A lot of these characteristics that we were describing today are not true. Like is sometimes there will be amnesia, right? When like, I just kind of came to, like I came back when the, the demon or spirit surfaces. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's not, it isn't this like, uh, highly traumatic history. There's, pieces of that like the puzzle that would qualify them underneath the dsm that are missing well and like i like we've said if the experience itself falls in line with any like largely held cultural or religious belief it automatically is excluded from the diagnosis anyway so um do i think it's possible yes do i think it's likely real in a very small subset yes um should we be afraid to talk about what's probably going on right most of the time when somebody is presenting with facets of this? No, we Christians can absolutely speak into this and not need to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And we should like we should. So if we, if we conceptualize all of this stuff as occurring on a spectrum, dissociation is the same way. You've got the farthest end of the pole with like DID flashbacks, full perceptual disturbance, right? And then at the other end, you have what I described to you guys as a response to receiving very traumatic news, right? And reacting in a way with a mechanism that is built into my body because yeah. God made my body, right? You know, and our, to protect me. Our brains, you know, are so, you know, amazing. It's amazing that we can re- regulate, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, as much as we can, you know, uh, right. with all the stimulus, with everything that's going at us. And I just mentioned this before. It's a, it's a wonder that we don't see this more often, even in ourselves, you know. Um, you know, you know, the world looks at dissociation, you know, like not clinically as not getting with reality, just detachment, saying, d- detachment mm-hmm. or something. And detach- I think that they use the words, try to use those words synonymously. Well, you know? again, like this is a real thing mm-hmm. that happens, dissociation. So you don't want to say, oh, I was dissociated. Like you don't use it flippantly because yeah. it mm-hmm. is describing like a real process yeah. that happens. And, and just just because of the confusion of words, it it's, you know, tends to. Right. We have a God us, that but, loves words, guys. Yeah. He spoke the universe into existence. Which is a, another interesting thing. Christ about- <laughs> is referred to yeah. as the word. When we talk about scripture, we refer to it as mm-hmm. the word. Mm-hmm. Clearly, language words are very important yeah, to God, and then so you also, want to be good stewards of that. Also, the intent and the heart behind the word, mm-hmm. too, as well. What you mean by that, um, and uh, and I, I again, it's a 
it's a wonder because of all the things that come at us as vulnerable creatures who we are have control of nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a wonder that it doesn't happen more often. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Given the odds because of everything in there, it should. Right. But it doesn't. Right. And that goes back to and harkens back to design. Yes. Agreed. And even in our corrupted self, right. we still have, I mean, knowing what could be. Right. Right. Some sort of foundation and stability. And I think that is active in the grace. design itself. Yeah. I think that is active grace. Mm-hmm. Um, we even say that, you know, listen, your thoughts alone could make Hitler look like a choir boy. I've heard Paul Washer say that, you mm-hmm. know. Just because of, you know, we've all committed mass genocide in one way, you know. <laughs> and, 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 or another. Yeah. Or another. Um, and have thought the most evil things. Well, the only difference between you and Hitler is that Hitler actually did it. Right. And <laughs> Right. No, truly. <laughs> right. And most of us don't think of ourselves as capable of something like that. But <laughs> That's God's grace because right. you don't view that. And God, like, I mean, we commit murder in our heart before we commit murder. Yeah. yeah. But you've been at your worst. Yes. And they can go deeper. And I think that we can all see that. And I mean. Well, and take it from two old redeemed rebels that were like ultimate depraved wretches. And when we look at Pharaoh, I rose you up to this Mm. power to show my power. Exactly. To show, I'm going to raise you up to squash you. Right. And it looks like he goes, goes, because he said, God hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. And he did, He hardens hearts in ways of just taking back grace. Right. It's a right. very passive way to harden hearts. It just taking back grace. Mm-hmm. And so in the unbeliever's life and the believer's life, God is near there regulating. Right. Holding things together and has uh, certain ways of doing that. And it manifests itself uh, in certain ways as well. Right. And, um, and listen, we live in a fallen world, and um, he will show us examples of that yes. as well. And corruption to will happen. H- to so, his glory. Yeah, right? to his glory. Um, and it's very hard as a Calvinist and a Reformed man uh, to communicate this to a, with, a, uh, with a, you know, let's just say the common person that's not theologically inclined. Um, you mean, you mean God is sovereign over this? This oh. is not just some strange phenomenon that right. happens. They're willing to accept fallen world, but then. Right. Then, but then the, they, then they excuse God's sovereignty. And I know. think that every uh, mouth will cry, profess, and every yeah. knee will bow. And I think that's the problem here, because mm-hmm. if we can't say that God is sovereign over it, then we can't say that, that there's any responsibility or any form or any of justice purpose. or any right. purpose for it. <clears throat> right. And then, so why not, you know, just treat it the way you want to treat it and empathize the way you want to empathize and sympathize the way you want to sympathize. And I go, no, I'm going to go to standards of criterion in the, the scripture mm-hmm. to learn how to handle this situation. Right. And because I can take dominion over this land, I can use things like the DSM and, you know, maybe hopefully we have a Christian version of it, um, you know, one, later on in the day. future, one yeah. day, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, or um, I can look at the spiritual content, uh, uh, contents uh, of it and use God's law to understand what my responsibility right, is. Right. How, how we should respond to it. Right? And uh, you will see. You uh, kill somebody. Yeah. You kill somebody. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, I'm not putting you in jail so that you can think about what you did. Right. It's standards of justice for the victim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. How there's no re- there's no actually like making like reparation making whole. That person's that. not going to care about what he did because he's going to be 
right. gone. <laughs> or, yeah. or as far as the crime, you know, I do right. believe that cr- uh, punishment should fit the crime. Agreed, you know? of course. So stealing grandma's carrots is not, you know, I'm not Enough throwing to get you in your jail. Hand yeah. chopped off, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, you're just going to give the carrot back and right. maybe a, a couple bucks for pain and suffering. Right, but like, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but you rape somebody and or you murder somebody. Oh, that was my, that was Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I actually believe you. It is Reagan. Sure. But it is you. But it's you. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And uh, everyone goes, well, how could you do that? I'm like, what kind of proclivity do that we have to some sensitivity well, right. of Reagan? Well, I'm like, here. what is your standard of justice? So this is we're yeah. we're moving into a completely and, different conversation. But that yeah, we are. And in this, this is how I would analyze it in scripture and to not be afraid of those things, just to bring it back to those points. And right. I think that the Bible gives us the foundation of doing things like the DSM has portrayed. And that's my for, well. I mean, the the structure that you see yes. in the DSM is a reflection of the structure and order of God's yes. world. Uh, yeah. Amen. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So um, don't be afraid of this. Mm-hmm. Talk about it with people. If somebody is people running, are going to hate me right now. If people are running that. around <laughs> telling you they know seventy five people with DID, you can like very emphatically roll your roll eyes. Your eyes. Yeah. Um, but don't be afraid of this. This is not something that you need to feel weird about talking about makes for a good movie yeah it does go watch split i really mm-hmm. enjoy. actually i'm gonna take that recommendation with a grain of salt because i actually don't remember like what's in it in, in terms of like it's violence PG-13, and, is it pg-13 yeah how do you know that off they, the top it, of your uh, head. There's only one M. Night Shyamalan that was uh, oh, rated gosh, R, and that Nick. was The Happening. How do you know all of this? <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, we hope this was really helpful. Um, like I said, we're probably going to do an On the Couch with uh, treatments and the history of that. It'll be mu- it'll be much shorter. Um, but if you're interested in, in any more of that, then come come be a Patreon member. And, uh, and we're thank you for yes. listening to this extra large couch yeah, yes. on the dividing two Ex- hours and 20 minutes. Right. And we hope that this, the first episode of our season four was helpful. We love you. We love you. Take heart. Take heart. He has overcome the world. Bye.